For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I would love to meet you after the service and introduce you to our church and answer any questions you might have. Uh, before we get to our sermon text, I want to make two quick announcements. Uh, now is the time, Bob. So Bob is now ready. Um, so the first one is I, uh, we're, we're going to meet with the sign designer this week, and I just wanted to point it out one last time. Uh, there's some concept art over on the table uh, with the bylaws revision, and uh, we're meeting, his name's Pat McVeigh. He did the Meerkert Garden sign and the signs outside of, um, outside of Castle Park and the soccer fields. And so we're going to finalize that this week and hopefully have that done as soon as possible. So if you have any questions about that, uh, please come find me after. Secondly, um, we've, we finally figured out the details. This last week we had a great lunch meeting about uh, Bible Study Fellowship. Um, for those of you who may be familiar with this, Bible Study Fellowship is a community-based uh, Bible study. My parents were involved in it for many, many years, and they have asked us to be uh, a satellite campus for the men. And so starting on Tuesday, uh, a Bible Study Fellowship discussion group will be meeting here at the church uh, 6.30 in the evening. Uh, I would encourage you men, if you're able, to come be involved with that. Uh, talk to Bob Owens, talk to Mike Cash. Uh, they've also done it before and will be here on Tuesday, but would just encourage you guys to do that. Um, so again, we are, uh, they've asked us and we've accepted to be a, um, a satellite campus for that ministry. Uh, along those notes, uh, Pat Martinez passed me this note that there is going to be a Women's Bible Study Fellowship a satellite class, and that's going to be up at Family Bible Church up in Oak Harbor, and that'll also meet, oh, that's the morning, yeah, okay, sorry, I almost, almost misread that, that'll be Tuesday morning, 9.30 to 11.30, so go talk to Pat, ladies, if you have questions about that, men, go talk to Bob and talk to Mike, excellent, let's get into God's Word this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 10, and while you do that, I want to show you something really funny. So Isaac, go ahead, put my slide up. All right, I saw this a couple months ago, and it made me laugh, so I wanted to share it with you. It says, if someone asks, what would Jesus do? Remind them that turning over tables and breaking out whips is a possibility. Now, to make a joke not funny, you describe why it's funny. So I'm going to do that this morning. <laughs> One of my bolder comedic moves. But why is it funny? Let's think about, you know, because when I, this popped up on my Facebook feed a couple months ago, I admit I laughed a little too hard. But part of it is, I would say, an incomplete view of Jesus. This assumption that Jesus was Mr. Nice, Mr. Super Chill, never got worked up over anything. And that's a picture of love that I think is incomplete, but is also incomplete according to the picture of the Bible. And as this references a time where Jesus really got upset, and he really did flip over tables, and he really did make a whip and use that to kick people 
out of the temple area. This is a part of who Jesus is. And so when we see this come up in Scripture, when we see Jesus get upset and angry, because he was the most loving person who ever lived, we have to take note of why he got angry. So today in the book of Mark, we're going to look at a different time where Jesus got angry. We're not going to talk about flipping tables over because if we were doing that story, I'd totally have a table here and flip it over to wake everybody about two-thirds of the way through. Man's got to know his limits. Flip a table over. But we're going to look at another time where Jesus got angry in Mark chapter 10. And when we do that, we're going to see this big idea. Again, it's in your bulletin if you're following along in that outline. That we must tell children about Jesus, and in that process, we learn about the faith that we need. And Jesus' anger is going to teach us that lesson this morning. So the first point of your outline, if you're following along, is never hinder a child from meeting Jesus. Let's start Mark chapter 10, start at verse 13. It's on page 846 in the chair Bibles, if you'd like to follow along there. Follow along as I read. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Of God. So the story opens in that people, probably parents, are bringing their children to Jesus. And in the chaos that probably ensued, the disciples, they decide this is inappropriate. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He doesn't have time for this noise and this riffraff and for people to slobber on him, albeit accidentally. I'm a realist, it's cool. And so, the disciples rebuke the parents. Verse 14, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was angry. He was upset. There's a bit of an irony in that the disciples were rebuking these parents, but in the end, Jesus rebukes them for their rebuke of the parents. They probably were not expecting it. They probably were expecting, good job, guys. I don't have time for that. And this is my new tunic. I just got it washed. don't want any stains on it. But when Jesus sees what they do, he gets angry. And he says to them, let the children come to me. Whereas the disciples perhaps thought Jesus was too busy, too important for these kids, 
Jesus, with open arms, welcomes these children. And then he further says, and do not hinder them. Don't get in their way. Now to me, when I was reading this again, that was such an interesting command. Do not hinder a child from coming to Jesus. So I want to spend a few minutes thinking about what does it mean to to do not hinder? Why would Jesus say that? Now the first and obvious one is that's what they were doing. (laughs) So you have a command because that's what they were doing. But secondly, I think it's such a simple thing to hinder somebody. I mean, you don't even have to completely block them. You just have to slow them down a little bit. I figure there are so many sibling fights in the idea of hindering. Well, I didn't hit him. I just, you know, got in his way a little bit. Or the one sibling is just walking a little too slow, and the other one's like, Mom, why are they walking slow? And you're like, don't do it. Turn this car right around. But in some ways, the ease of hindering shows us how serious Jesus is. Don't even hinder. Don't even slow down the attempts of a child to come to Jesus. In some ways, there's a sharpness in how easy it would be to violate this command. Don't even slow a child down if they want to meet me, is what Jesus is saying. Thirdly, it's a recognition of power. It is recognizing that the disciples, being grown men, had the ability to prevent and to hinder a child from meeting Jesus. And a part of that for us is recognizing the ability we have as adults to hinder a child from meeting Jesus, from learning about Jesus. We could say, oh, that's not my problem. But as an adult, you cannot say that because you cannot even hinder a child from coming to meet Jesus. One example that that I've seen in my ministry is this, that that a parent or, or a grandparent or a guardian just doesn't want to take the time to drive the kid to church. And you think about what that means. The kid can't drive himself. The kid is dependent on the adult to get them to church. It's not like we can say to the kid, well, you know, if you just wanted it more, you would find a way. I mean, can you imagine saying that to a five-year-old? You wouldn't. Because there is no way for a five-year-old to get a driver's license and to get a car and some insurance. No one's going to insure a five-year-old. But that's an easy example. That's an easy example of of an adult 
not wanting to take on the responsibility for someone else so that they can meet Jesus. Let me give you another example. There was a church that had donut time in between Sunday school and the service. Now I got all your attention. Okay. <laughs> got donut ministry all over this one. But the way that that church was set up was there was one giant hallway because it used to be an elementary school. And so donut time was in the hallway. They had cafe tables set up along the hallway, and then there was a donut table and coffee, and it was great. Well, some people like to go to donut time earlier than donut time. A couple of them really felt compelled by the Spirit to guard those donuts, and sometimes they needed to guard those donuts from some kids saying they had to take a bathroom break, and lo and behold, they came back with a donut. So I won't fault them for that one. But after a while, there became this little group that would sit out there in the hallway around the donut table and talk about donut things or things that one talks about around a donut table. Now again, on one level, not a big deal. On one level, it was a great time of fellowship with those people to spend time in conversation with others. But what they didn't realize was that they were being watched. Again, this was an old elementary school, and so all of the doors had windows that looked out into the hallway. And especially the youth kids started to notice the donut group. And one day in particular, they said something like this. The adults are always telling us why it's important to go to Sunday school. So why is there this growing group of adults not going to Sunday school? <laughs> now again, on one level, donut group was fine. But what they didn't realize is that they were communicating truth with the simple action of sitting around in the hallway. Even if you don't work directly with children, specifically at our, our church here, you are being watched. And you can actually hinder a child with the simplest of actions. Again, the simple act of sitting at the donut table communicated truth about God's word to the youth of that church. So again, it's so important to understand, do not hinder a child because it is so easy to, and we must as adults, even if they aren't our kids or we don't even know their names, we have to watch our lives and what we say and do, especially on Sunday morning, communicates so much truth. You know the old saying, little pitchers have big ears. <laughs> well, they also have big eyes. And they hear what you say. They hear how you talk to the other members of the church. They see how you interact and how you spend 
your time and what you spend your money on. Watch your life closely so that you do not hinder a child from coming and knowing and loving Jesus. Jesus at the end of verse 14 begins to give the reason. And this part of the verse gives us a bridge to the second part of the story in verses 15 and 16. So look at verse 14. For, okay, that he's showing logical progression. For or because to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now in Mark chapters 9 and 10, there is a theme that runs throughout these chapters. This idea of how do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I enter into a relationship with the God who created me? One of the best examples of this is the story right after our story today, which is the parable of the which is the story, it's not a parable, the story of the rich young ruler. And how does that story end? Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's Jesus talking. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? So this is a question that that runs throughout chapters 9 and 10. Who can enter the kingdom of God? Who can be saved? And in verse 14, Jesus begins to answer that question. For to such, he's referencing the children, belong the kingdom of God. So you shouldn't hinder a child from coming to Jesus because a child and people who act like these children, which we'll talk about in a second, are the ones who enter, are the ones who find salvation. So God, in his mercy and wisdom, not only calls us to help children to to see and to learn about Jesus and not to hinder them in any way, but while we're doing that, at this exact same time, He is teaching us through them how we are to be in relationship with him. So there's two parts. There's the command to to let the children come to Jesus, to, to teach them about him, to have them experience him and not hinder that. But at the same time, God in his glorious wisdom is teaching us about ourselves and our relationship with him. So let's look at point number two there in your outline. Learn from a child about faith. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus is is welcoming these children back. At the end, we see that that he just gets dogpiled 
by these kids. And he loves it and he welcomes it. And he speaks in verse 15. Truly I say to you, this is a common phrase that Jesus used, shows up again and again, and it marks importance. It's Jesus' way of saying to us, hey, listen up. I, what I'm about to say to you is important. So everybody, everybody focus, everybody come with me right here. All right. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is saying that our reception, our receiving the kingdom of God, this is one way that the Bible talks about faith, about receiving Christ, about receiving the kingdom of God. It's a theme that comes up again and again, but, but what it is, if you're not familiar with it, is just a way to talk about the relationship that is built on faith in Christ. And he says, if you want to know how to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be like a child. This is a biblical equivalent to the book, Everything, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. He says, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. So let's talk about what that means. Because again, I think this is something that gets very misunderstood because we're focusing on the different on the wrong aspects of children so one way that i have heard this uh, misused is well i need faith like a child and children aren't very smart so therefore i never have to read my bible or talk about theology because <laughs> i got faith like a child and some of them can't even read Wrong part. The other way is this. If I have faith like a child, that's all I need. I'm in, I'm done. Both of these ignore so much scripture about growing in maturity in Christ. In fact, Paul talks about how we move to maturity, we, we grow up, and he uses the natural growth process of a ch child becoming an adult as a metaphor for the Christian life. And so it can't mean that. So what does it mean? What is it about children that is a model of faith to us? And I think the answer to that question comes from our tax code. In our tax code, children are called dependents. And I think that is the main aspect of a child that we are to emulate in our faith in Christ. It is not an uneducated faith. It is not an ill-informed faith. It's not a faith that is done when you, you pray that prayer to accept Christ. It is a dependent faith. Children are dependent on the adults in their lives. 
They are dependent for their needs to be met. Like I joked about earlier, the kid can't jump in the car and go to the grocery store to get food. They're dependent on others for their needs. And a faith that brings salvation, a faith that is real and true, is a faith of dependence on God. It is a faith that recognizes, apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I am dead in my trespasses and sins. It's a dependent faith which recognizes I cannot do enough good to earn favor with God. I cannot pay the penalty that my sins deserve. But like a child, we come to God in dependence. That we are sinners in need of forgiveness. That we are unrighteous in need of the righteousness of Jesus. That is coming to Jesus like a child. Knowing I cannot do it on my own. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. I depend on the grace and favor of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to come to God, to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And just as those of us and, and, and any interaction at any level we have with children are called to not hinder them from being in relationship with Jesus, at the same time God shows us through them the faith we need. Because it's easy for us to adults to think, oh, I got this. I'm an American. I don't need anybody else's help. <laughs> but we are dependent on the grace and forgiveness of God. To approach God in any other way is not to approach him in faith, but is to approach him with pride and arrogance. So let me close up this morning with a couple conclusions, a couple applications for how this changes your life today. First is this. Watch your life and your words around people, especially those who are younger than you. I think we could all, in our own ways, share a time where we were impacted simply by the actions of someone older than us. There's power in what people see, and we need to remember that we are being watched, especially by the children of this church. You are being watched. I mean, this is one of the, hu the, the, the ways in which God uses parenting to humble us, because our kids, they will mirror 
what we say, and what we do. And usually they'll do it in public for maximum embarrassment. <laughs> oh, where did they learn that phrase from? That was me. You know? <laughs> Watch how you act. Watch how you speak. Watch how you treat each other here. Number two, value ministry to children. One of the reasons I picked this text for today is because of our ministries like Awana and Mops starting up. And you may never become famous because of your involvement in ministry to children. No one will probably throw you a parade. But Jesus will be pleased. And this is something even in our culture, specifically the culture of the Pacific Northwest, there is an aspect of the culture which does not particularly care for children. I had a friend who's a a pastor in another part of the Seattle area, and he said when he moved here, he anticipated that his neighbors, uh, that he would have opportunity to talk to his neighbors through his kids, like his kids would do something, the neighbors would comment, and they'd be able to start a relationship there. He said, it wasn't until I got a dog that any of my neighbors paid attention to me. (laughs) And we can laugh because we all know there's a little truth in that. (laughs) And in some ways, sometimes, what we do here will be a little countercultural. Now we do value children because Jesus values children. I want to give you, let me give you an example of this, how this sneaks into the church. This is from a satirical site. Okay, this is not real. It's called the Babylon Bee. It's a Christian satire website. It's one of my favorites. It's just so good. But they had a fake article. Again, this is satire. And the headline was, Youth Pastor Promoted to Real Pastor. Let me read you an excerpt from this fake, again, fake, satire, fake story. After years of toiling in not quite a real pastor job, local youth pastor Chet Walden received an offer for a real pastor position Thursday, sources confirmed. According to reports, Walden immediately accepted the offer without reading any of the details, commenting to friends that he had, quote, arrived and his time of pre-pastorate testing was at an end. It's a dream come true, Walden told his youth group during an impromptu farewell address. I'm glad that the Lord recognized my potential as I waited patiently for this period of tribulation to come to a close. (laughs) He then reportedly went on to thank the young church members for acting as his guinea pigs as he experimented with methods, sermon styles, and leadership philosophies that will serve him well as he goes on to do, quote, meaningful work for the Lord. (laughs) That's why this site is so good. Now again, we wouldn't talk like that, but sometimes we can act like that, even when we don't mean to. And we need to value, as many of you do. I, I am so pleased. I saw the, uh, the schedule for nursery workers and children's church workers, and I saw so many of you be involved in that. And it, it truly, in a VBS, so many of you came out, and many hands make light work. And it is so good. And so for many of you, I just want to encourage you to keep going. 
And even if you might not become famous for your work in the nursery, Jesus sees what you're doing. And Jesus loves those children. And he wants you to love them too. I want to give you a verse that has helped me on those days where, where I've done nursery or I've done mops, and there are those days where I, I honestly don't want to be there that day for one reason or another. Because that does happen. Sometimes working with kids can be hard. And it can take, take the energy out of you. Let me give you the verse that, that I use that that's, has stuck with me over the years to help me keep in mind the importance of what we're doing when we minister to children. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Any ministry we do for the Lord is worth it even if it doesn't feel like it at the time, even if we don't really feel like being there. It is never worthless. And it is always of eternal value. And thirdly, see in children your dependence on God. One of the great lies of Satan and one of the great lies of our culture is that we don't need God. That we're just fine on our own. But in fact, apart from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we recognize our dependence, when we recognize that apart from Jesus there is no life, that is when we confess our sins and place our trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we confess and trust in Christ, we find forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And we receive the kingdom of God. Father God, we thank you for this story that we would never hinder a child from knowing you. That we would welcome children as you welcome them. And that as we do that, you would reveal the true nature of faith to us. A faith of dependence on you for the forgiveness of our sins and the righteousness that we need to be in relationship with with you. God, that if there are those here who have not done so, that today would be the day that they come to you like a child to confess their sins and to place their trust in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.